Welcome to episode four in our pelvic floor podcast series. In this episode, we chat about overactive pelvic floor muscles. So when your pelvic floor is too tight or too tense and you can't relax easily. Enjoy. Hey mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Hello and welcome to the fourth episode in this pelvic floor podcast series. Today we are diving in deep to overactive pelvic floor muscles and this is a super common issue for many women that I treat and it is so important to recognize whether you may have overactive pelvic floor muscles because having an overactive pelvic floor can actually sometimes present very similar to having a weak pelvic floor, which is super confusing, right? And the last thing you want to be doing if you have an overactive pelvic floor is to be smashing out a whole heap of pelvic floor exercises with incorrect technique. So today we're also going to hear from Pregnancy Posse member Beth and her experience with vaginismus and overactive pelvic floor muscles. And I think you'll find this personal anecdote super helpful. So listen up and enjoy today's episode. Now, remember, today's episode is the second last one in our pelvic floor series. So for those of you who have enjoyed this series so far and want to listen to all the episodes in one chunk, it is now available inside my online pregnancy program, The Pregnancy Posse. You can watch this entire series by visiting thepregnancyposse.com where you can trial it for seven days. Now, I'm really enjoying doing these ramblings of what's inside my head today as I'm finding it is encouraging me to seek inspiration and wisdom from all facets of my life. My notes app on my phone is just blowing up with all the things I notice that I want to write down and think about and then riff on this podcast about. So I listened to a podcast recently where the interviewee mentioned that intuition is one of the most important tools to tap into when it comes to motherhood, that our intuition knows best, but can often be clouded by our head, other people's opinions or thoughts, or all the conflicting advice that you might read on the internet. But what really stood out to me was that she was saying that this intuition really helps us communicate to our babies whilst they are still in utero. It is like their way of talking to us by telling us what to eat, what not to eat, how to move our bodies when we need more rest, etc, etc. I found this so interesting because it sounds silly, but I often forget there's a small little human inside of us that has a soul and can communicate. And it's not like this all happens earth side, it still happens in the womb. So cheers to today's woo-woo intuition vibes and let's learn more about overactive pelvic floor muscles and how we can learn to relax properly. Hello ladies and welcome back to episode four in our pelvic floor series. I hope you've been enjoying the topic so far and that you've learned a lot about the pelvic floor. Today we are going to be diving in deep talking all things overactive pelvic floor muscles. Now, this is a very common and very important topic to tackle as most women assume that their pelvic floor muscles are weak and they aren't aware that they could actually be too tight or too strong. So an overactive pelvic floor is when your muscles are more tense and active than necessary and they have troubles relaxing completely. Common symptoms for those women who may have an overactive pelvic floor are pain with internal activities such as sex, inserting tampons or having pap smears. You can also have very similar symptoms to those women who have weak pelvic floor muscles, which can make it really hard to know which camp you sit in. So are you weak or are you overactive? So women with overactive pelvic floor muscles can also have incontinence, troubles emptying their bladder or their bowels completely and bladder urgency and frequency. 
Now, for some women, you may be thinking, but isn't a strong and active pelvic floor a good thing? The stronger, the better. Well, yes, strength is very good, but a muscle that cannot relax very well is not very efficient and it can lead to weakness and fatigue. So imagine this. Imagine that you're walking around all day long on your tiptoes. Your calf muscles are very active and they haven't had much time in a relaxed state. Now, if I asked you to jump, you would find it quite difficult because your calf muscles are fatigued and they're shortened and they can't contract as well as they normally would if you hadn't walked around on your day. Now, imagine you walked around all day long on your tiptoes. So your calf muscles are very active and they haven't had much time in a relaxed state. Now, if I asked you to jump, you would find that quite difficult because your calf muscles are fatigued and shortened and they can't contract as well as they normally would if you hadn't walked around all day on your tiptoes. Now, this is what happens with an overactive pelvic floor. If you are holding on all day long, when you do actually need your pelvic floor to work, for example, when you cough or you jump, these muscles are tired and weak and they may not do the best job possible. When you want these muscles to relax during sex or when trying to insert a tampon, but instead they are tense and resist that stretching, then you might experience pain. Now, how would you actually know if you have an overactive pelvic floor? Well, firstly, you may be experiencing some of those symptoms that I mentioned earlier. It is also super important to get in tune with your muscles when you're actually doing your pelvic floor exercises. So can you squeeze and lift, but can you also release and let go? Let's revisit the elevator analogy that I spoke about in the first pelvic floor episode. Imagine an elevator and when you squeeze and lift your pelvic floor, imagine you are lifting to level three. Now, when you release your pelvic floor, you want to make sure that you release all the way back down to ground level, as opposed to only releasing to level one or level two. Now, this can be hard to distinguish when you are first starting out with pelvic floor exercises, but it will get easier as you become more in tune with your pelvic floor muscles. Now, let's chat about why pelvic floor muscles can become overactive in the first place. There are plenty of things to consider, but the most common reasons I see in my clinic and amongst my pregnancy posse members are, number one, stress and anxiety. So these emotional states can cause all your muscles in the body to become more tense, including your pelvic floor. Overactive bladder. So this is when your bladder is very chatty and it likes to tell you to go to the toilet often. And this may then in turn cause your pelvic floor muscles to always want to hold on to try and suppress that constant urge to go to the toilet. Another factor is poor posture. So if you sit a lot during the day or often hold your pelvis in that posterior and slouch position when your bum is tucked under, this can also cause your pelvic floor muscles to tighten and shorten. So make sure to take regular breaks from sitting, walk around, stretch your pelvis and hips often and try to maintain just a small curve in your lower back. And finally, another reason for overactive pelvic floor muscles could be if you have rock hard abs. What? (laughs) Isn't that what everybody wants? (laughs) Now, if you have super tense and tight ab muscles that never relax properly, you do have a higher chance of having pelvic floor muscles which never relax properly. So while you're listening to this right now, wherever you are, do a quick body scan. Are you holding your tummy in or is it sitting relaxed and comfortable? Can you expand it out any further? It is very common that many of us are always holding our tummies in, whether it be because we feel bloated or we might be wearing a fitted top and we don't want our belly to hang out. But ladies, we need to let our bellies hang loose. So in the words of Elsa from Frozen, let it go. (laughs) So 
if you are finding this really difficult, maybe try wearing a loose fitting top as that will encourage you to release your tummy. Or you could try placing a dot on your left hand and every time you see that dot, check in and see if you are activating your tummy. And don't be fooled into thinking that good posture requires you to be sitting bolt upright with your abs sucked in all day long. That is wrong. Now, if you suspect you may not be fantastic at releasing your pelvic floor completely, here are some tips that you should find helpful to let these muscles go. When doing your pelvic floor exercises, after every contraction, then followed by a release, take a big belly breath in and out. So when you relax your tummy muscles, your pelvic floor muscles are more likely to let go too. After doing one rep of a pelvic floor, place your hands on your tummy and inhale whilst expanding your tummy out. Now make sure it is not just your chest rising, but instead direct the air past your chest and into your belly. Now exhale and you should feel your tummy fall back in. If you need to get the hang of this, you can do a few more rounds and then repeat. So squeeze and contract your pelvic floor, followed by a release, then do another belly breath. And this will help you to reset your pelvic floor back to level zero in between each rep. So if you are someone who is not relaxing completely, you would insert a nice big belly breath in between every single pelvic floor rep that you do in your exercise workout. So contract, relax, belly breath. Contract, relax, belly breath. Another tip is to try and do pelvic floor exercises lying down. Some women find it hard to release completely when doing their exercises in more gravity dependent positions such as sitting or standing because their postural muscles are much more likely to be engaged, which makes it hard to switch off completely. So lying down can be a nice way to help release these muscles properly. Now, if you're still really struggling, as always, please do make sure that you book an appointment with your local women's health physio for a tailored assessment and treatment plan. There is absolutely no point doing your pelvic floor exercises if all you're doing is on, 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 because we need to make sure that you also let the muscles release. We're going to cut now to my conversation with Beth, who is a Pregnancy Posse member and openly and really rawly discusses her experience with vaginismus, which is a condition related to overactive pelvic floor muscles. And I'm sure so many of you will be able to relate to aspects, if not all of her story, because this is unfortunately quite common. So Beth talks us through how she noticed problems with using tampons and when she first started having sex, but how it took her five years years till she actually got a diagnosis and was able to find good treatment options for her vaginismus and actually recover. And she did mention, which is amazing news for everyone, that she got to a point where she felt completely fixed and resolved and cured and she never had to think about her pelvic floor as a problem all the time. So I think that's really important to know. She talks really in depth about communication with your partner, returning to sex and the number one treatment option that she felt made the biggest difference for her. So enjoy this chat with Beth. Vaginismus was something I certainly could tell something was going on since I was about 18 was when I started having sex. I guess even though the first time I had sex was with a partner, I'd been with him for a really long time. There was certainly no pressure, but it was such an awful experience because it was so painful. And I found it quite isolating because I had no idea. I knew something was wrong but I had no idea what was wrong. I had no idea where to get information. I had no idea how to go about trying to sort it out. 
I saw so many GPs over probably a five-year period that assumed the pain I was experiencing was anxiety-related because I do have a bit of a history with anxiety. I guess I kind of had to deal with this pain for years. It was totally by chance that my journey to working out what was going on happened. So I was at a work function and the guest speaker was a sex therapist which was a weird choice for a work function and very, very uncomfortable to attend with your work colleagues. But anyway, so she had some really interesting things to say about um, kind of mismatched libidos and sex issues generally. And I ended up buying her book and getting in touch with her via email to ask her advice. I kind of explained my situation that, you know, I'd been experiencing this pain. um, I couldn't work out what was going on. And she actually wrote back to me and recommended a pelvic pain specialist at the Women's Health and Research Institute of Australia, which is based in Sydney. And when I made an appointment and went to see him, uh, within about five minutes, he had done an examination, had diagnosed um, what I had as vaginismus and kind of had a plan of action for me. And it was such a relief to finally see someone who said, you know what, we know what's wrong with you. It's not all in your head. This is this is an actual condition that people experience. It is more common than you would think. And this is how we're going to go about, I guess, addressing it. Um, so he had me work with um, the women's health physio that was in that practice. Um, and she was able to work with me on exercises, um, using some dilators, that helped me over time to become pain-free. Um, and it, I mean, because it was something that had been an issue for so long, it probably took about six to 12 months once I had started seeking that treatment for me to see a real difference. But, um, you know, knowing that being able to put a label on what I had, being able to then research it and find out some information and have a bit more understanding about it, and then be able to work with a women's health physio to start addressing it was like, it's not even an exaggeration to say it's life-changing. 100%. And to think that you put up with that for, or you didn't put up with it, you just couldn't find the right options to get it better for five years before, you know, you realised there was something treatable. It was something that you know, you could work on. It wasn't just anxiety. It wasn't all in your head. It was, it was definitely something you could help. What, I know it's a combination of everything, but do you have like one thing that you think was like the best treatment tool for you to overcome the vaginismus? Definitely the dilators. I found that using the dilators, it helped me to feel more confident when I was starting to then have sex afterwards to know okay, I know I've worked with these dilators. I know that physically this is something that's possible now. I've done those exercises. I know that there's space. I know that I can do that. It helped me in both the physical sense of being able to work on the physical parts of vaginismus, but then kind of addressing the concern that had built up in my head over time to say, oh, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to work. To be able to think, okay, no, I know this is going to work. I know that it's fine. Mm. Did you find yourself early days thinking things like I'm never going to be able to have pain-free sex or maybe I won't ever be able to conceive children properly? Were they ever fears or worries that you had? 
Oh, 100%. (laughs) It was so frustrating to me that sex was something that's so normal and natural. It's never something I thought that could possibly even be a problem. That was certainly a concern to me. At the time that I was getting that treatment with my women's health physio, I was already in a relationship with my current husband and... I mean, he is a chronic oversharer, so it was that which was kind of lucky because you know we could quite comfortably and openly talk about the treatment. He came with me to my first session when I got diagnosed. He was kind of along for the ride the whole time and was able to understand the treatment, understand the problem, and kind of encourage me to practice with my dilators. He was really encouraging when we did then start kind of trying to have sex after that and was really kind of thoughtful and I guess supportive in knowing how difficult it was and the things that I'd had to go through in order to get to that point. Mm. I think that's really important. That's definitely something I encourage in my clients because if your goal is partner sex, you can't do it alone. You need to communicate with your partner about what's going on because it's really hard for them to understand what is happening and to not take it personally, to not think that it's an emotional problem or a relationship problem and that it is a physical, granted it's more complex than that for a lot of women, but it's a physical condition that you do need treatment for. And I do think communication is a huge part of that, Um, especially when you're then trying to marry rehab back into intimacy. Because it's not just like, oh, yep, I can use a size three dilator now I can have sex. There's definitely like a transition back there. So I think that's a really good point you've made about communication. Would you say, you said it took about six to 12 months to recover. Would you say that you are fully recovered now? Do you feel like you still have to be very conscious about looking after your pelvic floor or making sure that you're relaxed in your pelvic floor? Or do you not think about it? It's a thing of the past. Pre-pregnancy, I would have said it's not something that I had to worry about at all. Even though the experience was awful and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, it's weirdly been very useful recovering from having a baby because I've had to recover in that sense before. I've had to, I guess, think about my pelvic floor. I've had to think about using women's health physios and, you know, maybe having a checkup that for someone who hasn't had that kind of checkup might be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm quite happy to talk about those kinds of things and to seek help if I need it. I was a little bit anxious about getting back into sex after after having a baby and wondering what that would be like, would I have kind of gone backwards? And it was the first time in years that I actually got my dilators out and actually used them again before we started having sex post birth. It was almost a mental thing for me in practicing with the dilators first and knowing, yep, okay, everything's good here. That little bit of initial confidence to help me feel a little bit more comfortable the first time we did try and have sex after having a baby. It was a bit of a physical test, but also just that mental confidence boost in, I guess, getting back into it. Yes, I love that. I think so much of it is confidence so that you don't think it's a scary thing that you have to be worried about. You know, okay, I've tried this. I I know I'm okay. And um, my body, you know, is going to respond well. So I love that. I'd love to just know before we finish up, Before you said you were about 18, that's when you started having sex and you started to notice the pain. Had you noticed any signs of it previous to that with tampons or pap smears or any sort of internal exams? Had there ever been an inkling that you might have discomfort in the vaginal area? 
I think the only thing that would have made me think that there was an issue was definitely tampons. I had tried to use them from when I was an early teenager and I always just found them really uncomfortable. They weren't something that I used very often. I would only have chosen to use a tampon if, you know, I was going for a swim or, you know, going to the beach or something that, you know, the other options available wouldn't have been as appropriate. And so thinking back on it now, the fact that tampons were uncomfortable for me probably was a little bit of a sign. Other than that, I can't think of anything that would have alerted me to the fact that there was anything going on with my pelvic floor. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Would you have said that for that whole first five years, every time you attempted sex, it was painful? Yes, I think so. And I think even though it was a physical condition, I think that over time there definitely was like a mental and emotional component because I then learned to associate sex with pain, which then, you know, you start from a point of anxiety going into that. And I mean, it's not exactly setting yourself up for a positive experience. Yeah, I think that would definitely be the case. Thank you so much to Beth for sharing so honestly about her experience with vaginismus. I know it can be a little bit scary for women to open up and talk about this, but I know that Beth sharing this is going to resonate with so many women listening to this right now. And I think it's so great to hear that personal story and what helped and what treatments made the difference and to see a really positive, successful outcome from going from painful sex to pain-free sex and that there are things you can do to make a difference. So I hope you enjoyed our chat. Now, as always, I love finishing off with rapid fire questions that I have been asked inside of my Pregnancy Posse membership. So let's hit it off. Question number one, I'm really struggling to relax. How long will it take? <laughs> Patience, my friend, it can take a while to really master this pelvic floor relaxation properly. So one session is definitely not enough. Give yourself a good couple of weeks of practice. Next question, I can't keep up with your pace of quick flicks. Does this mean I'm not relaxing properly? Sorry, if you're a member inside my Pregnancy Posse online program, or if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen me run you through different versions of pelvic floor exercises, one of them being the quick flicks. Now, the most important part of the quick flicks is that you release your pelvic floor muscles correctly, regardless of how fast you go. So if you find that you can't keep up properly with me and you can't release completely, just ignore me and go at your own pace. Now, let's finish off with a small set of pelvic floor exercises today with the main focus being on relaxing your pelvic floor all the way back down to level zero. So we're going to do three rounds of a three second hold. Follow my prompts. Let's go. Squeeze and lift around the vagina and hold for one, two, three. Now we're going to drop that elevator all the way back down to level zero. If you need to take a big belly breath in. I want your pelvic floor muscles to feel completely relaxed before we go again. Let's go. Squeeze and lift for one, two, three. Let them go. I want you to feel them drop back down. Don't push them down. Just passively go. And last one. Squeeze and lift for one, two, three. And release that elevator all the way back down to level zero. Take a big belly breath if you need to. And we're done. Well done, ladies. Okay, ladies, tell me, were you nodding to this episode going, mm-hmm, 
Yep, this sounds so much like me. I think I might have an overactive pelvic floor because if so, you are definitely not alone. So many women don't realize this is even a possibility and we are often so focused on pelvic floor strengthening because we think our muscles are sloppy and weak that we forget that they could be overactive. So this is your gentle reminder to relax and breathe and let it go. (laughs) And if you enjoyed today's episode, please do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And if you liked what you heard and you want to get stuck into all the pelvic floor series, it is now up inside my Pregnancy Posse program for all members to enjoy. So you can trial the Posse for seven days and find out more by visiting thepregnancyposse.com. And if you just want extra support and guidance around these topics, or you want to watch my recent live on this topic about overactive muscles, please jump over to Facebook or Instagram at PhysioLaura, and I will chat to you then. Now I'll catch you soon for our final episode in this series, where we discuss the impact that pregnancy and birth can have on your pelvic floor. Now this episode will truly have you appreciating the pregnant human body. I'll see you soon.